is from Isaiah 11, and the bulletin says verses 6 through 9, but I'm actually going to be reading 1 through 9, so Isaiah 11, 1 through 9, and that's on page 491 of your pew Bible, Isaiah 11, 1 through 9. A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is the word of the Lord. Sometimes I think that we could just skip the sermon and just listen to the children's message. I, uh, I learned a lot today. For one thing, Tammy, next year, no more chocolates for volunteers, just bags of broccoli and Brussels sprouts. All right. What did you get... For Christmas, did you get what you wanted? Did you get what you wanted for Christmas? Now, what you want and what you get can often be different things. Personally, I would have loved if someone had paid off my mortgage, but I did get chocolates. Perhaps you got a new car. You wanted a new car, but you got a new bike. Perhaps you wanted a new job, but you got a new briefcase. You didn't expect to get the mortgage or the car or the job, So you're not disappointed. But how would you feel if you'd been promised everything, but you got nothing? If you had really high expectations, but nothing came of it? What if you'd been promised a conquering king, and all you got was a baby in a manger? Now, you guys have all been doing this Christmas thing for quite a while. You've been expecting a baby for Christmas, not a king. It's not really a disappointment for you all. You got what you expected this Christmas, baby Jesus. In fact, you'd be upset if we'd done anything else. If we had a palace up here rather than a stable. If we'd had a throne rather than a manger. If Jesus wore royal robes rather than a swaddling cloth, you would have said, what happened to Christmas? Bring back the baby asleep in the hay, no crying he makes. You would have told us we'd missed the whole point of Christmas. But guess what? That's not the whole point of Christmas. That's not the whole Christmas story. It wasn't a sweet baby boy that Isaiah was announcing in our passage today. There's some dissonance here, expectations that have yet to be met. According to Isaiah, something is still missing from our Christmas 
experience. So this morning, we're going to look back to what Isaiah was saying to try to find out what that is. We're going to ask not what, but who did you get for Christmas? We're going to look at this in two parts. Who did we get for Christmas, and who are we still waiting for Christmas? So who do we get for Christmas? Isaiah's announcement came 700 years before the birth of Christ. But the times were eerily similar to our own. The world was a mess with competing superpowers. Does that sound familiar? The original kingdom established by David and Solomon was divided politically between north and south. Does that sound familiar? Worship was typically a cultural rather than relational activity. Certainly, worship was not reflected in the behavior of rulers or subjects. Does that sound familiar? They, too, had their share of dud leaders lacking in judgment, leaders notoriously unfaithful to God, leaders making bad or poor political alliances. When we hear this text, the sacking of Jerusalem is imminent, but Isaiah is bringing a message of comfort and hope. We see here the shoot from the stump of Jesse, a king that will lead his people. And in verse 1, which I sort of just hinted to, we get the pedigree of this king. Jesse, David's father. David, the greatest king in the history of Israel. But what we're seeing here in Isaiah is more than just the resurrection of previous greats. David certainly made mistakes. Anyone who knows the story of David knows that. This is more than another Washington or Lincoln or Roosevelt. We know our leaders make mistakes too. Inconsequential ones are not so bad. I know that uh, Dan Quayle had problems spelling the word potato. He said there was more than one way to spell it. There is. There's hundreds of ways to spell it. But only one of them is correct. Those inconsequential spelling mistakes of our leaders don't really matter. But the consequential ones are huge. And so they were in the time of Israel. Isaiah is telling us that a king in the line of David is coming, but what sort of king? In verses 2 to 3, the beginning of 3, we see the characteristics. And from the second half of verse 3 to 5, we're informed of that first mission of that coming king. So let me read verses 2 to the first part of 3. And listen here as we hear the description of that coming king. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. So here we see these spirit-filled characteristics, specifically wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and fear of the Lord. And, and fear of the Lord really means reverence or awe or submission to the Lord. And it goes on in verse 3 to say he delights in this reverence or awe or submission to the Lord. So we start to see the characteristics of this coming king. The king is a good and godly king. And then in verses 3, the second half of 3 to verse 5, we see why he's coming. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness he will judge the needy. 
With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breadth of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. As we see here, he's coming in judgment. He's coming in judgment. But that is not just any old judgment. He's not impressed by what he sees or what he hears, which basically means he's not impressed with status. He's not impressed with achievement. He's not impressed even with self-righteousness or goodness. He is judging against something. He's judging against injustice. It says, with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will, give decisions for, he will give decisions for the poor. And he is not just judging Israel or the church. He's judging the earth. He is not just judging. He is judging against injustice. And he is judging to undo injustice on the earth. So we see this very big picture of justice working through this passage. Isaiah's Jesus is a good king, a godly king, and a global king who comes in judgment to undo injustice. God himself stepping in to be the ruler that we need. Now we look in the major and we see a baby. But we need to see a king. And what kind of is this? What kind of king is this? He's the one that judges perfectly. Now, there were a few who recognized him as a king on that very first Christmas day. The shepherds and the magi came and they bowed before him. But most didn't recognize him as king. And it's harder to see him this way. A king that comes to judge is a scary proposition. Just as my just need to fall on me too. Am I the only victim? Am I only the victim and never the perpetrator of injustice? When I think this through, the weight of Christmas becomes a scary thing. But there's good news. The name of Jesus, given in advance by the angel before he was born, they didn't get to pick from a book or a list. They were told what name they had to give Jesus. And the name Jesus means God saves. And this is what I would call a first relief. There is a way through. I don't have to be condemned. On the cross, he received for us the judgment we deserved and earned for us a life we don't deserve. But this truth also brings up the carnal rebellion within us, at least it does within me. To accept this salvation, I have to acknowledge two more things about myself. Firstly, I need saving. I cannot be my own king. And secondly, I can't save myself. I cannot be my own king. How profoundly disturbing. I cannot be my own king. Profoundly disturbing and quite counter to the current cultural narrative that we hear even within the church. Accepting his salvation will lead to me having to acknowledge my dependence on him as king and living in submission to him as king. And I have to ask myself, do I want this king for Christmas? That sweet baby in the manger is a king coming in judgment. Do I want it? Sometimes all I can do is acknowledge that I need it. 
Dependence and submission can be hard. The second thing we're looking at this text in Isaiah for is to see who are we still waiting for for Christmas. Jesus first came to save by dying for us. We still wait, however, for the final judgment. The judgment. And judgment is a word that's almost as hard, honestly, as dependence or submission. Culturally, we don't like the word judgment. It's, it's hard to swallow. It's hard to hear. Hard because we have to accept the brokenness around us, and maybe that's really hard if we're winning, this injustice that's around us, do I really want to acknowledge that when I'm on top? Life is pretty good. Or maybe it's because we feel powerless to fix it. It is much easier to live in denial that the world needs judgment than to acknowledge my powerlessness to fix it or my place my winning place in the equation. But we have to accept all the brokenness is a symptom, really, of our corporate rebellion. It's hard to accept, but it's really true. Remember the creation narrative? There was a, there was a description at the end of that, an abundance, abundance of everything. There's an economy of abundance at play. And then in Genesis... Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden. And the security of abundance is lost. And if you read this, as many African theologians do, through a lens of an agrarian context, it makes sense. We look at the curses. The curses that occur in an economy of scarcity, where women's security came from how many children they could give birth to, and men's security came from what they could do with their hands. And we see the curses are in childbearing and the sweat of the brow. And they result, this economy of scarcity results in enmity between man and woman. The corruption is internal for sure, but it's external too. The world is broken and it needs fixing, and we are not able to do it. There are follow-on consequences, and we see them in Isaiah. There are predators in the world now, and there is prey. Wolves and lambs, leopards and goats, calves and lions, cows and bears. And there are perpetrators and victims, children with cobras and vipers, with snakes, that symbol of deception, the innocent taken advantage of by the deceptive. When the king comes in judgment, he brings a new world order. And remember those, those terms, the wolf, the lamb, the leopard, the goat, the calf, the lion, the cow, the bear. It's describing a relationship that exists within the social fabric of our society as much as it does within the world of animals. And we look at a coming kingdom where there'll be no more predators and no more people preyed upon, no more perpetrators and no more victims, no more innocent taken advantage of by the deceptive. Now look at the relational verbs between these prey, predators and prey, perpetrators and victims, innocent and deceiving. The perpetrators and the victims, the predators and the prey, the innocent and the deceptive, will lie with, will live with, will feed with, will be together, will eat together, will play with. This is not just about not getting eaten. This is about intimacy. This is about fun. This is about delight. 
This is about life together, abundant life together. Now, as a counsellor who works with both abusers and the abused, this is a little traumatising for me. This goes against everything I know. The battered spouse needs to get away from the abusive partner. Children need to be protected from sexual predators. Boundaries are needed in personal relationships and business relationships to stop manipulation. In an economy of scarcity where predators are still predators and perpetrators are still perpetrators and the deceivers still deceive, these boundaries are necessary. We wouldn't and we shouldn't lie with, live with, eat with or play with wolves, leopards, lions, bears or snakes. And we wouldn't and we shouldn't let our children play with cobras and vipers. But everything changes when the king comes back in judgment to reign. Two things to note. First, for those of you who have been prey or victims or deceived, in this time the hurt remains. Woody Allen, when he heard the saying that the goat will lie down with the leopard, said, that may be true, but the goat isn't going to get much sleep. Now, that's sort of funny, but it's actually very, very wrong. The anxieties that come out of our experiences will be removed. Fear of commitment, of men, of sex, of crowds, whatever it is that's created in you a traumatic response will also be removed. There will be a healing there. Anxiety and fear are undone. You will both be safe and feel safe. The coming kingdom is not re-traumatizing. It is freeing. Second, for those of you who are labeled as predators or perpetrators, either in society or in the minds of those around you, it can be hard to wear a label, to experience boundaries, especially if you don't want to be the person, a person like that anymore. It can be hard to want reconciliation but not get it, to want to be trusted but to live under constant suspicion. Even harder if you think the label is applied from misplaced fear or anxiety. The reason for the label can feel like a prison, a trigger, a judgment. Perhaps you have been violent, gossiped, drunk, been a drunk, a manipulator, a grump, an abuser, and you wear that label, and that behavior is inherently bothering you. But so can the label feel like a lifetime prison, a trigger, a judgment. And here's the irony. Christ's perfect judgment removes all labels. Not only will you be free from temptation, you won't even want to rage or gossip or use or manipulate or compute or complain or abuse. No one will label you as violent or a gossip or a drunk or a manipulator or a grump or an abuser. You will both be safe and be seen as safe. The coming kingdom judgment will free you, not label you. 
So we are used to this baby Jesus. We see him in his manger every year. We're used to this gentle Jesus, meek and mild, from all our Bible stories. We're used to Jesus, the suffering servant who came to save. Now, the Jews were not expecting a baby. They were expecting a conquering king. They were waiting for the promised Messiah to come in judgment. Are you ready for that Messiah? Because he is still coming. The only purple robes Jesus wore were given to him by the soldiers in mockery. Then the only crown placed on Jesus' head was made of thorns. Then the only throne Jesus ruled from was a wooden cross. Don't get me wrong. We needed him to come, to take away the sting of death, to stand in our place, to bring about his perfect salvation. But that's not the whole story. We are still waiting for his perfect judgment. Did you get what you expected for Christmas? Did you get what you expected for Christmas? Did you get who you're expecting for Christmas? I hope not. I hope you are still waiting expectantly. Let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, there are so many attributes of Jesus that we miss. He is lamb sacrificed, but also lion that roars. Help us this Christmas to remember that the roar of the lion, the judgment of the lion, is as much a blessing as the lamb who is sacrificed. That we need his salvation, but we also need his judgment. Bless us with the hearts that hope for, that cry out, come Lord Jesus, come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.